0: Hello, welcome back. This is Father John Arnold and this is Oro Valley Catholic. And this weekend we're celebrating the solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity. When Catholics talk about God, when the Orthodox talk about God, God is nothing in creation. God is the eternal reality that is behind all of created reality. And the way that we understand it is through the parameters the lens of the Nicene Creed, which was developed in the fourth century. It came from earlier baptismal formulas, where at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Nicene Creed takes Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's about three-fifths of the the Nicene Creed. Uh, Some of it is especially about Jesus, The sun was a response to Arianism, which was the cultural zeitgeist that tried to fit Christianity into older pagan understandings. So there was a Uranian God who's the father, Jesus who was the first creature like Zeus was a creature, and then not a lot of room for the Holy Spirit. But the fathers at the Nicaea would have nothing to do with it. And Arius was condemned. And so why do we say the Nicene Creed at every Mass? Why have we been doing this for the better part of 16 to 17 centuries? It's because it reminds us that God is the other. God is the reality behind all of creation. And so this Oral Valley Catholic, we're going to talk about the Nicene Creed, the nature of God, and what it means to believe in God. Stay tuned for more. When you go to Mass on Sunday and you've had the, 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 the scriptures and then a homily from the priest, um, the priest then says, let us stand and recite the Nicene Creed. And you remember, we, all, we start out, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. In most of our lifetimes, we've said, We believe in God, the Father Almighty. And in fact, over the course of the history of the creed, it's been said both ways. I believe, we believe. Because it's that play between the individual commitment to belief and the communal expression of belief. We are individual Christians in the body of Christ. We are connected individuals. And to start out, we believe, well, human beings live by belief. You know, we live in a time where science has kind of taken a disproportionate place in human understanding. I thought that the recent, uh, well, we're still going through it, the the COVID uh, 19 uh, plague, Uh, the idea is people say, follow the science, follow the science. But you know, when science and people claiming that they're following the science are giving you diametrically opposed understandings of masks and vaccines and MRNA vaccines, all of this, this deluge of the so-called certainty of science, what it made clear was that science is about experience. Science is about an empirical understanding of reality. But to say that it's experience and empiricism means that science takes time. They're gonna know a lot more about this pandemic in 10 years than we're gonna know in the midst of it, because science really isn't very prospective. Science can talk about probabilities, um, but a probability is always a belief, and so, When we think of science or people talk to us about science, so much of science is really just interpretation of what empirical reality means. It's a logical understanding, a deduction or an inference from experience that tells us perhaps the best way to deal with some material need that we have, whether it's a a vaccine helping us with this contagion of the COVID-19 a virus, or uh, something about uh, the nature of the beginning of the universe—it's all based on um, observation, experience, but it's always open by its terms to revision. But religion is something different than science or philosophy. If science is experience, and philosophy is an intellectual interpretation of experience. Religion is about meaning. Religion is about purpose in life. Science can't really give you purpose in life. Philosophy, even the greatest philosophers, there's just a point where reason can take you only so far. Religion is about what we believe, we understand, about reality that goes beyond science and philosophy. As a result, religion is super rational. Religion, faith, and reason, taking us beyond where reason alone can go. It's not infrarational. That is, sub uh, a sub-science or sub-philosophy. So for instance, a religion that would say, well, if the Bible says it's seven days of creation, I don't care what science says. See, that's faith working against reason. It's faith working against experience. This is not authentic Christian faith. This is fundamentalism. Fundamentalism can be a part of some scientific atheist. It can also be one of the features of Christianity. But it's sub-rational, infra-rational, because it doesn't understand the proper role of science and philosophy and religion science tells us about material reality philosophy whatever guise it comes to us is an interpretation of how we understand empirical reality and religion is about purpose and meaning really in life there's only three arguments you can have one's about the way things are the second about what it means and the third is what do we do about it and religion is very much what we do about it so Arguments and religion, arguments help, but arguments are never dispositive about religion. You know, uh, St. John Henry Newman talked about the Iliative sense, and the Iliative sense is, there is no one reason I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It's really any number of reasons, and it's experience, and it's the witness of saints and the church and my parents, to try to nail it down and treat re- the religious instinct as if it was a scientific experience really confuses ways of knowing. You know, it's interesting, science works on belief also. I mean, how many times do people go back and redo all the experiments that have brought our great scientists where they are uh, in the present? Science always just builds on the previous generations. Interestingly enough, religion and morality really doesn't. Morality is something you have to discover for yourself. The experience of past generations can help us. But as we know, especially in sexual mores, especially since the 1960s, which has rocked traditional sexual mores, Um, We are learning from hard experience what happens if you do not respect the power of sex in our lives. But that's something every generation has to learn for itself if it won't learn from the past. Science is wise enough to understand and trust the past and go back and question it when somehow we've been pushed beyond what scientists in the past could know. But religion Religion is always, in the Catholic and the Orthodox sense, about Christ the Lagos, the, the power of God's wisdom, the power of God's reason in the world. It's the thing that makes science and philosophy possible because it says human beings are beings of a rational nature and we truly can understand. But when coming to religious belief and saying, I believe, um, Arguments help people I think over a bump in the road or helps to transform how it is that we think about ourselves. But we say about faith that faith is grace. Faith is a gift. And some people just have great difficulty with it. Um, I came from a family where our parents were just gifted with faith. And it made it, parents who actually lived it and understood it made it so much easier to believe. And the truth is, if in your family, belief is in how mom and dad live, how you talk about religion and the church at the dinner table, and how you you ask your children to try it on in school and growing up, so that in addition to belief, they have the experience of the satisfaction of living a life truly committed to Christ in the scriptures, the sacrament, and the moral life. So... The creed is about how we understand the God that has called us to follow him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it has to be a function of human reason working on faith. So one of the favorite definitions of theology is faith seeking understanding. The idea that Given how we understand Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can use reason to better understand our situation uh, in life. You know, a long time ago, because the Gospel of John said that Jesus was the Word, He was the Logos, God's rationale, God's wisdom, and it's all in the readings, especially from Proverbs, about God's wisdom taking delight in human beings, that that understanding that comes to us from the Jewish people through Christ to us Gentiles is the re- reason why the church has chosen philosophy and reason instead of myth, using our minds to understand the meaning of Scripture, the significance of the sacraments, and how to stand, understand the moral life in a world where it's constantly challenged. And so, When I say I believe in God, it means I'm making a motion to put my trust, my belief in an ordered universe with the God of of reason, the God that is love behind us, that love has its own wisdom. Um, And so God is nothing in the cosmos. God is not nature. Um, But God's grace, God, like a great architect or an author of a work permeates nature. And so when you sit in relationship to nature and you don't see anything as God, it's like sitting in a building and you don't see the architect. What you see is the evidence of order uh, in the universe. And so let's turn from minute from talking about belief and the nature of belief which is about grace it's about logic it's about reason but it's also about intuition it also is about emotion i believe is a complete commitment of the entire of the human the entirety of the human experience a believer is a complete person and so let's talk about the nature of the god that we believe in I don't know if you remember a movie, a Woody Allen movie called Annie Hall. And one of the early scenes is little Woody Allen with all his puffy hair sitting at a desk in class where the teacher is talking about how the entire universe will burn out someday. All the suns will implode. It'll be nothing but a black hole. And you can see this clearly traumatized little boy tells his mom, I'm not doing my homework anymore because the world's coming to an end. And what it was, was the experience of the power of death. That death doesn't just come for each of us individually, but death comes for all of reality. And Thomas Aquinas would say is, the entire universe is contingent. It doesn't explain itself. Something must keep the universe in existence. And that something we call God what it means to be ipsum esse subsistence, the act of being in itself. You see it in the book of Exodus. Remember when Moses goes to the burning bush and the burning bush tells him to take off his shoes because he's on sacred ground. And when Moses asks the burning bush, um, what God is this? What's its name? He says, I am. It's kind of a mocking response. But the idea that before... The sheer power of existence. What is a human being? And increasingly in our own culture, human beings are people that just feel free to kill other human beings and use the goods of the world for their own profit, uh, whether or not it benefits another in any meaningful way. God and death, these are realities. That God becomes a human being and goes through death rises from the dead, and ascends into heaven is what turns death inside out. But that very act posits something important about the nature of God that Catholic theologians and believers have contemplated for over 2,000 years. Here's issue number one about God. The unity of God. There is something subversive about saying, there is one God, only God is God, and the president's not God, the premier of Russia's not God, the sun's not God, sex isn't God, you get my drift. That all of those realities, with whatever their power is, is relative to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is one. We know from divine revelation, especially in the readings for this Sunday, that God is revealed by Jesus to be Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. This is the key to the Nicene Creed, which you say every Sunday, how we believe about God. And then here's something else about the importance and how we think about God, that God's essence and God's existence are the same thing, because there's only one God, Always was, always is, always will be. We know God in an analogous way. That is, that God shares something with us, but otherwise is completely other and unlike us. If you were to say you knew God in a univocal or a univocal way, you'd think God was like the top being in created reality. Whatever else was there, there was this being that was just like the rest of reality, that lives forever, um, like this superhuman being. You know, it's just one step away from being Zeus, and that's the problem of it, and why the Nicene Creed struggled so much with Arianism. There's always the temptation to try to make God like us, but to say God's essence and existence are the same thing, essence is, for me, what it means to be a human being, and I share it with our entire species, my existence, is the particularity of being John Arnold. But what if, with the being that we call God, the actual, who's not really a being, but what it actually means to be, when what, his genus is just God, and his existence is just God. He's not an example of a God, he is the only God. And the way that we talk about this um, in, in the human language of scripture matters, but it also matters how we think about God in the way that we talk. Think about this uh, next understanding of God. We have two ways of talking about God. First is the via positiva, and the second is the via negativa, the positive way and the negative way. Think about the positive way. When we think about blessings and what's good uh, in God, what we're looking at is something that is not in itself God but that somehow it participates in the goodness of God. I've always liked the understanding of the scriptures, that baptism confirmation, I mean the understanding of the sacraments, that baptism, confirmation and the Eucharist are sacraments, signs of God's goodness in the world that cleanses us from sin, that gives the spirit to our hearts, that feeds our bodies, our minds, our souls in the Eucharist and they participate in God, they lead us to God like smoke to a fire. That is, it is something that God causes to happen in this world. And God is present in his sacraments. He is bound by his sacraments, but is, um, that he's not uh, bound only to the sacraments. He also works uh, outside the sacraments because God's actual grace works throughout the world and we know it through the goodness that he pours out in all human beings baptized and unbaptized so that's an example of how the via positiva working on what we all understand is to be the goodness that we see in creation actually draws us to god but the via negativa the via negativa is when you see things in the world that clearly are not god but he he allows them to to happen for some reason. There's the famous story, which you probably heard about Michelangelo. When asked how he was, he created the statue, David. He says, I just chipped away from David everything that wasn't David. Well, the via negativa is the way that we understand, you know, what isn't God? It's the problem of evil to say that there is a God of love who permits horrible evil like the invasion of Ukraine in the world. How could you put that God loves me and God loves people to be killed in church in Nigeria? Well, St. Augustine's solution to it, and I think it takes us a long ways, is to say that evil Satan, demons, the evil that comes out of human beings, that this is a corruption on the good. Um, It's parasitic on the good. In itself, without the good, it cannot survive. And so that the idea is, as uh, the world is cleansed and purified, um, is that evil is dealt with over time. So does God allow evil to exist for some reason? Well, for instance, cancer is an evil, isn't it? But cancer is about cell reproduction, and cell reproduction is a good thing. Uh, You can go through a lot of evil, natural and moral, and understand it like that. But it is theology that you're doing. What is not God? Why is it not God? Why is it not good? But to see it rooted in some kind of good. And so those three understandings of God, uh, understanding God and death, understanding the unity of God, understanding God as essence and existence, and understanding how we talk about God through the via positiva and the via negativa, that our understanding, if you take those different theological points of view and apply it to the Nicene Creed, you'll see how our language about God revolves around unity, essence, existence, and how it is that we can understand the God that we cannot directly observe. And so let's take a moment, and as we bring this segment uh, to a close, that we turn to talk about God the Father and human freedom. God the Father, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, things seen and unseen, the visible and the unvis- invisible, creates angels. He creates the human person. He creates the, what, the world we see and the world that we don't see. But why does he do, do all of it? Well, if you've been around the Catholic Church very long, you know the reason God creates anything is out of love because creation can in itself add anything to God. Um, why do parents who love each other, moms and dads, want babies? There's just something beautiful about sharing your life uh, with children. It can also punch every button you have, and it can also just bring you incredible joy and also suffering because you enter into the love that's in the heart of creation. So creation adds nothing to God. And when mom and dad add children to creation, they're really adding to God the Father because parents don't own children. Um, Children are made for God. We call... The sexual act, procreation, because creation isn't something that happened in the beginning. Creation is unfolding and we're part of it. It's why understanding that sex is for participating in God's creative plan. And it takes love and cooperation between a man and a woman to do that because it emulates the love of the Trinity, which we celebrate today the love of spouse for spouse, father for wife, husband for wife, father for mother, father and mother for child. You see the image of triune love in in the family. To say that sex is for procreation is to say that sex has a telos. That is a purpose. There's a point to it. And it's not just for entertaining ourselves. Although human intimacy, the good of the spouse, a great good for sex, but when separated from participating in the creative love of God, it's sex that at some level is maimed. So how do you put that all together? Because that's been the argument in the modern world. I don't think anyone is arguing that sex and um, love and children are disconnected realities, but it's the experience of husband and wife who hopefully in their fruitfulness and their care and their growing love for each other, learn how all of these wonderful experiences of the goodness of God in their minds, their souls, their bodies, uh, create something new, something that is free. Because in the end, God is about freedom. You know why I talk about sex? Because it's one of those big concerns today. Um, When we think of sex in the United States, so many people, even Catholics, buy in uh, that freedom is about choice, Uh, and in the sense that it's a consumerist choice, where you can choose to use sex for children, or use it for your own uh, enjoyment, or use it for make money in pornography, or it's just like another consumer item on the shelf. That real freedom is that you have more than one kind of condensed milk to buy, This is not what freedom is. Freedom is about excellence. Freedom is about self-fulfillment. And fulfillment of yourself in God's grace is to ultimately look like, to emulate, to be another Christ. In baptism, confirmation, and the sacrament of Eucharist, we are given the grace to be another Christ so that freedom, we experience freedom, when we have trust in God, when we have hope in God, and when we love in charity others. Freedom to choose to be in relationship with God, to live in God's world today in our lives, and the freedom to be charitable. This is what freedom is. It's not a choice amongst alternatives. I've talked to people who are thinking, I'm thinking about being a Catholic, but I've been looking at Buddhism, and I've been looking at Islam, and I, why should I be a Catholic? Like I'm a salesman for um, for what option you should take. And what I always invariably say is, is that the only thing Catholicism has to offer you is reality. Uh, this is who you are and who you're made to be. You can either respond to God or not. Um, this, this is the sacraments, these are the scriptures, and this is what you need to be, to be fully human, to be fully yourself. Because in the end, that's what freedom is. It's being who God made you to be. And you know, part of that whole reality uh, that that little Woody Allen character had trouble with, part of that reality is, is death. That uh, our lives, like a work of art, have a beginning and end and it's they're given it's given boundaries because we're not god part of our essence is that we die that god entered into reality to go into the depths of human sin and human death to rise and to ascend is about how god takes our human reality and transforms it by turning death inside out Why is there something rather than nothing? That's always the big question, that people just don't seem to, they take their existence so much for granted. But you know, I attend to the dying all the time, and people, Catholics who are dying, never take their lives for granted. The greatest gift you have at the moment of your death when you give it away to the people you love is to embrace the understanding and that in your finiteness, the infinite God embraces you and lifts you up and shares himself with you. This is what love is, that sharing. Somehow, sex is makes it present in some human way in our life. It's why people expect so much of sex. But for God, all of this is transcended. The act of the loving uh, experience and participation in the divine and most holy trinity. And so, I guess you'd be nuts if you didn't have some level of fear of death and suffering. But we never enter into it without hope and faith. And with charity, especially for those who care for us. And here's what St. Paul said in this Sunday's readings in Romans 5. Here's the quote. Not only that, but we have been boast of our afflictions, knowing that affliction produces endurance, and endurance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. What's the Holy Spirit? It's the love of God poured into our hearts. May it grow and grow and grow in each one of you. God bless you.